0: Ah, Joe, what's up? What's up, beautiful people? How are we? <laughs> Good, man. The truth is,
1: we ran into each other downtown Los Angeles last night, and here we are. Uh, we were just laughing before the cameras turned on. Uh, Have we run into Emmanuel Acho more than any other person, like just out and about in LA? It's wild. I
2: think combined three times. I was Christmas shopping last year. Last
0: year, yes,
2: ran into you. I scared you. You heard me. You're like, who is this white woman trying to yell my name? I swear, you tried running behind the post. You,
0: (laughs) I I literally like, I can sense. I can sense people who can sense me. And so, like, I think I sensed Chelsea before I saw her. And I, like, hid behind a pillar. And I was like, oh, it's just <laughs> Chelsea. Like, what's <laughs> up? And then we end up doing dinner, I think. Yep, we did it. We end up waiting on Judah to join us for dinner. Yep. It's me, you, might have been Elijah, uh, maybe Anne Marie. Ann Marie
2: and I were Christmas shopping together. Yep.
1: Yeah, that ended up being a great night, man. I'm,
2: I'm so honored to know I make the cut of people you acknowledge in public. I feel like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: get out of town
2: like, okay but we also ran into you out in the middle of nowhere out past malibu, like 20 miles past malibu we ran into you
1: <laughs> i'm telling you it's god it's meant to be i, I it's probably because ocho and i both being athletes it's just mm. weird how athletes end up in similar spaces you know you just, just being yeah i don't want to get into the details you but, just,
2: that's, you just but we never
0: run into each other at a gym Oh, that's
1: right, because I don't do gyms.
2: Otto, <laughs> <laughs> when is the last time you think Judah went to a gym? Legitimately, gi- just give me a month and a year. Just, ball. just ballpark.
0: <laughs> I'm going to say pre-COVID.
1: <laughs> I'm going to say pre-2000s. Like, <laughs> oh man, here we go. Here I'll we go. I'll tell you
2: exactly what happened. I got him to work out for a while, but his whole goal was to flatten his chest. He feels like his nipples are pointy. Oh
1: my goodness!
2: And this was this er- was outrageous. This was, like,
1: you just said the word nipple, and we've only, we're only like three minutes. Are you allowed
0: this. to say? Are you allowed to say that in the presence of God? I don't know. Doctor Tony Evans would never allow. I this.
2: hate to break it to you, but <laughs> the Lord invented nipples. So,
1: well, <laughs> well, as long as it. you anyway, keep saying that, show and I,
2: no, now you guys are embarrassing so <laughs> stop. Anyways, anyway, yeah. Spanx tank tops got yep. in, got invented. I don't know if you know, Spanx was a thing for men. I don't know if they still are. Anyway, Judah found those spanks tank tops hasn't worked out a day since. So this that was about two thousand eleven, I'm gonna say. So I,
0: I didn't know we were going back there, but I'm glad Chelsea put a bow on it because I was wondering how it ended. Yeah,
2: okay. But he's so annoyingly fit without working out. It's just it no, I just believe this it. is true. 90 percent every of time, time I diet. see you, I'm
0: like, Judith, you working out? You've been losing weight. Thanks, and you're like, Yeah, new diet, I'm keto.
1: <laughs> Intermittent fasting, man. Look who's talking. Chisel. And he just has
2: natural ah, muscles. It's to annoying. Life. Chisel, chisel. <laughs> um, uh, do you ever miss being an athlete? Speaking of athletics ooh, and your job now?
0: That's a good question. Not at all. I got hurt far too many times being a pro ball player. Like, I, tore my, I broke my thumb. I tore my MCL on my left knee. I tore my MCL on my right knee. I tore my groin. I had a bilateral sports hernia. I completely tore my quad off the bone and I had a concussion. Oh. And so that's all in eight years, for college, four pro. So between all that, dude, put me in a suit, put me in a tie, and let me talk. Oh my goodness, I didn't know that about you. By the way,
1: that's a lot of injuries in eight years, man.
2: And I'm in such i I'm such a mom. Could your mom even watch you play football anymore after all of that? Did, you, did she even talk about it?
0: I made sure if my mom was ever in attendance, don't stay on the ground. That was like my rule of thumb. If my mom was in the stadium, when you get hurt, you don't stay on the ground. And so when I tore my MCL, her... say it again, Gina? It would just
1: cause her so much agony if you're on the ground. Like she would just. Yeah, because
0: it, it'll freak her out more than the pain I'm in. And so like just whatever you do, don't stay on the ground. So when I tore my MCL, I just like clawed up onto my feet. When I tore my other MCL playing against the Packers, I played another play then jogged off. Um, when I, the only, only time I ever stayed on the ground, only time ever Philadelphia Eagles playing the St. Louis Rams and I'm diving Chelsea to make a tackle and the running back, the back of his heel, it hits me in between in my sternum and I I fall to the ground and I'm like, (gasps) (gasps) and so I, I couldn't breathe. And so I, mind you, it's never happened to me before. And so I'm laying there and I can hear the crowd going around me and everybody gets silent. I'm like, oh. and then I hear one of my, um, my teammates, he says, get up Superman. And I'm like, oh. and I hear the trainers come over and they're like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh. and I couldn't get any oxygen into my lungs. And I said, you can't breathe. And I said, and then slowly, but surely like, oh. and then slowly my breath became back i ended up with a bruised rib but i got the wind knocked out of me and that was the only time in that minute where i was on the ground and could not breathe i was like they're going to have to cut my jersey off rip the shoulder pads off i'm going to have to breathe through a tube for the rest of my life like that all went through my head dude i was like i will die here
2: that says so this much is about where you I will
0: die. that's
1: so dramatic
2: yeah that your brain went all the way there. That's you it.
1: know, and Acho, I'm oh, yeah. so glad you brought that story up. When I was playing um, sophomore football for my high school, <laughs> I, I was the uh, starting quarterback, and I got sacked one time. Wind got knocked out of me. Very similar situation. We won't get into the, the details. Once again, that's why we run into each other so much.
2: I, I've, I've never had the wind knocked out of me, guys. I don't, I, I don't True. need to break it to you, but that uh, that's
0: uh, the one. Like it's weird because the most unintentional injuries are the ones that are the worst. Like my worst Wait, are, injury was that are, or my sports hernia.
2: Are any injuries intentional?
0: Well, you know, like when you pull a hammy, right? You were dehydrated. You knew you were tight going into the game. Like, I'm not surprised I pull a hammy. If you have a, a ruptured calf, you shouldn't be surprised if you tear your Achilles, right? Like that's kind of on the, on the bingo card for playing with the ruptured calf. Like, eh, Achilles can get torn, but like when out of nowhere, it's like, wait, now I can't breathe. I, I literally, Chelsea, I thought I would die. To this day, that's how it was going to end.
2: And I- you had a long enough time to plan out the whole scenario of your. <laughs> well, <laughs> was your mom in the stands when that happened? Do you remember? No, she wasn't. So good. you, Thank so God. you were okay. But even
0: had she been there, there was no getting up. Like I was like, this is what I'm defeated. I'm defeated. Who's uh who's tougher you or your brother sam i would say me physically i would say physically like like okay sam,
1: if we go three rounds i put gloves on and you guys oh go. that's a
0: different conversation that's that's who that's who would win in a fight who's tough sam didn't get hurt like sam didn't get hurt till the end of his career my older brother sam played nine years his first four years um Clean. He broke his leg. I think it was his fourth year. Then he tore his pec, maybe his sixth year. But Sam didn't really get hurt. College, not a not an injury in the world. Meanwhile, college, my freshman year tore my meniscus. Sophomore year, t- sports hernia. Junior year, tore my MCL. Senior year, tore my quad. So I just went through just the gauntlet of injuries. So now
2: you're tougher. Makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now, now, what's what? Hey, hey, like,
1: hey, you boxing. didn't answer the other question, though. In a boxing match, who wins?
0: I'd take whoever's more upset, whoever's more righteously <laughs> angry. That is a my
1: goodness, you never cease to amaze me. That is elite response right there because
0: that's a true sure, <laughs>
2: whoever <laughs> is okay. Best. Then, in that case, who has a shorter temper? Who has a shorter fuse?
0: That's a really good question. Probably me for sure. Probably me. I am more. I don't play. Sam's nicer. Sam's way nicer than I am. Do you think it's Sam's being way nicer.
2: being the I little being that. the little brother too? Like if you didn't if you didn't defend yourself quickly, it just wasn't going to happen.
0: It wasn't going to happen. And like Sam gets it from my mom. My mom is so kind and sweet and gentle. Um, and then my dad, he don't really play, and I don't really play. I don't really play. I'm about whatever anybody else is about. You know what I mean? Like whatever, whatever you about. Okay, I'm about. you don't hey. you
2: don't have to uncover your dad. But would he? <laughs> we but are not doing that. Bit. But Wonderful I grew, I grew and up God. in a, I, I actually have so much respect for your dad. I grew up in a house, never heard my dad yell. Nobody raises their voice, nothing. I married somebody. And I will just say that is not the experience my children have had. My, chi- my children have definitely <laughs> heard their father yell and scream and you know, it's at this why we just, so, so you don't have to uncover your dad if you don't want to. But was your childhood more like mine or more like Judah's? And how'd you turn out? I mean, obviously you turned
0: out amazing. That's a good one. I, I would say in my, I, my parents probably played to a tee, the good cop, bad cop. You know what I mean? Like you knew you go to your mom to be coddled and be caressed and you go to your dad to get that tough love. I was having a conversation today as a kid, I don't recall hearing a ton of, I love you's from my dad to the point where now as an adult, before we get off the phone, love you, dad. I mean, I'm saying that loud and proud and like, you're going to say you love me back. Um, and it wasn't that he didn't love us. I just don't know based upon our culture that like saying I love you was just a big Nigerian household thing. You know, they love you because they go to work and they put food on the table and they move to America in their late twenties and they work on their undergrad and get their masters and they have their doctors and start their private practices. Like, you know, they love you because they don't miss any sporting event. I always love. Chelsea on on Wednesdays. Obviously, I love when you're at church, but I even more so love when Judah's like, yo, Chelsea will be here. She's at a game. (laughs) Um, She's at Z's game or she's at E's game or she's whatever, because my I always tell people my dad only missed one football game of my college career. And the reason I know he only missed one game of my college career is because he only missed one game of my college career. It was my senior year versus Texas Tech. And mind you, my dad preached every Sunday of my college career. And I lived, I played ball in Austin, Texas, three hours from Dallas. He only missed one game. And so whenever we get to Wednesday night church and Judah's like, hey, Chelsea's running late, da-da-da, and then I see you usher in, you know, 30 minutes later with your son and with your daughter, I'm like, that's dope. Because, like, I remember that. And I hold that as a badge of honor that, like, yo, my dad only missed one game. And it was because one of his friends, I believe, was getting remarried, one of his best friends. And he low-key asked for my permission to miss that game. And um, yeah, so it was it was just a beautiful combination, mom and dad,
1: they played out. Tell me, I know this, we've got so many, so many good things to talk about. I always do when we start talking with you. Um, most meaningful moment playing football. What was it and why?
0: You know, really, I would say the most meaningful moment probably occurred in the locker rooms, not mm, on the field. Yeah. I had a really, maybe the, the moment that sticks out with me most, and obviously it's fascinating talking with you all, had a detailed debate with um, D'Amico Ryans, current head coach for the Houston Texans, my former linebacker, and we had a long debate about whether you had to be water baptized to be saved. I mean, we went for two hours. Two hours. Um, every Tuesday, and Judy, you know this, Chelsea, you know this, every Tuesday in the NFL, Tuesday, Wednesday, you have team Bible study. And not your pre-game Bible studies, like your chaplain comes in, y'all rap for an hour. And you're like, oh, you're in Bible study? Well, surprised <laughs> to see you. Here. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and so I was always fascinated as who would join this week. Like, oh, but you were just at the club. Never mind. <laughs> um, and one time, me and D'Amico, I will never forget, we went back and forth and back and forth. Because at the time, I don't know what he believes now, but he was like, look, you have to be water baptized to be saved. And I said to D'Amico, no, you don't. And he's one of the strongest men of God I've ever met in my life. Tell me, um, oh, sorry.
2: Tell me you brought up the thief on the cross, right? Like that's the biggest, like.
0: I brought up, I brought up everything. I I brought up everything. But my biggest thing was like, my biggest thing was your salvation cannot be contingent upon water. It just can't. And Miko was like, well, in Acts, everybody who met Jesus, not necessarily literally physically met Jesus, but encountered Jesus, was water baptized post-Acts. And I was like, I understand that, but for by grace, you've been saved through faith. Not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works. Water baptism is in theory a work. So, I mean, we just, we just start going back and forth and back and forth. And I just, that was the stuff that was most meaningful. And where did it end? Like, I mean,
1: obviously you guys have a great relationship, but do you remember how that concluded after a couple hours?
0: It was ultimately like he, his theology was his theology. My theology was my theology. The fascinating piece for me was like, we have a difference in opinion on salvation. That's no small deal. Now, D'Amico is one of the best men and men of God I know, but I was just like, this is no small deal that we're debating right (laughs) this is salvation contingent um but we didn't nobody was trying to convince another as much as like hey but this is where I'm coming from and why and he's like but this is where I'm coming from and why again I don't know where D'Amico currently stands this was an issue in a debate from 2014 but um that was what was meaningful you know what I mean? Like, the post game prayers after the game, getting in the circle at the 50-yard line of the NFL stadium. And, like, you might be distraught that you lost. You might be ecstatic that you won. But at the end of the day, it didn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like, win or lose, you didn't really care that much. You're going to get there, lock hands. And so that's the stuff. I mean, winning and losing was cool. Um, you went to a national championship in college, cool. But, eh, when you get older, it's kind of like, Unless you win a Super Bowl, nothing else really kind of.
1: Yeah, like what actually sticks out. Well, Coach is doing very well over at the Houston Texans. Uh, In the process (laughs) of this recording right now, may God bless him. I mean, that team is a problem right now in the NFL.
2: I think that, for me, that story, sorry, do you, do you need to crush on the Texans anymore or can we move on?
1: No, I just love talking sports with Acha. I know, I I will go on record to say I don't know if there has ever been a more compelling, and Stephen A. Smith, if you ever hear this podcast, I said it, uh, if there's ever been a more compelling uh, sports communicator. Uh, in my lifetime in the USA than Emmanuel Acho. I, I, I love his deductions. I love his conclusions. I love the route he gets there, the context he sets up. Uh, he knows it. I'm, I'm, I really like how you deliver. I disagree with you a lot. But man, you are winsome. You are very winsome. You
2: have no idea how many conversations this family has with you in the screen. Yeah, just talking, just talking back at you. So I mean, mostly our boys, but you you enter into a lot of Smith family conversations. So. Yeah,
1: I have proof text
2: a I
0: lot. Love, of and things. Chelsea, you know what? You know what I love, and then quick aside, and then we can pivot. Is I love just being able to borrow things from different speakers. Like anytime Chelsea, you get on the stage in front of me, I'm like, oh. I like her cadence there. I like her delivery there. I literally end 80% of my shows with something I stole from Judah. Judah, I think I've shared this with you in confidence. I love how you'll get on the stage at Church Home and you always start with, y'all could be anywhere. On this Wednesday night, you could be doing anything, anywhere, but you are here and we take that as a great honor and a privilege. And today I signed off with like, hey, you could be watching any show and you're watching ours and I don't take it for granted. We'll see y'all same time tomorrow. And just like, I literally like, took it straight from Judah, from Churchill. Um, And so I just love even what we get to share. Obviously we get to share a lot spiritually, um, but we get to take some of the practices that we use in life um, to employ those as well.
2: Well, I have so admired your relationship with faith throughout your career and how you have handled it. And I'm curious how much has been intentional. I mean, and tell me if I'm wrong, to me, my perspective is that you are a man of obviously deep faith, deep enough to get into two hour debate about water baptism? <laughs> so you know that, that's that's going that's that's deep. going deep. <laughs> it's 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 deeply ingrained in who you are, and you are never afraid to demonstrate that part of you. But it also doesn't seem to me like you feel obligated to lead with your faith or to or not push your faith, but to to just to, to get out there. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but I have so much respect for your relationship with faith. How, how would you describe your relationship with your faith and mm. your career and your journey and how have you got there?
0: Mm. You know, I vividly recall hearing one time, "And all things preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words." Yeah, mm. and all things preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. That's kind of how I live my life. I was at home for Thanksgiving, and my dad was like, "Hey, son, um, you know, will you get behind the pulpit? You know, if I asked you to preach for our anniversary service, I was like, Dad, like, my life is my pulpit." I was like, so I'll get behind a pulpit if God calls me to. Right. Like other than that, like I'm not getting behind a pulpit because I try to live my life behind a pulpit. Um, and, and I don't I'm not shy about it. If anybody logs on my Instagram, I don't say God in my bio. I don't say the man upstairs. I say if I could only follow one, it'd be Jesus. Yep. Here, yeah. Like it's. You know, we're not, it's Jesus is who I am following. If there was only one person I could follow, that's who it would be. So anybody who knows me, I make it abundantly clear who I rep and rock with. But Chelsea, what I found is like, I can speak to the masses if they don't necessarily know what I'm speaking about. Um, One of my most popular videos on social media, I released in the last two weeks was like, everybody needs five people. And I talked about, you need a confronter, you need a challenger. You need a celebrator. You need um, two other things. And I got it from a sermon. I just repurposed it. Like it literally was word for word from a sermon. Now that pastor's sermon didn't end up getting like 3.4 million views and it wasn't shared 162,000 times, but like my video was. But had I said like, hey, brothers and sisters of God, you need five. Nope, I'm off. But instead I was just like, these are the five people you need in your life. A counselor. A comforter, a challenger, a celebrator, and now people are like, Oh, wait, but all I'm describing are like characters in the Bible who God has told us you need in your life. you know what I mean? so' like a pulpit for my life would be restrictive
1: well said and I, and I think you don't give yourself even the, the the credit that that you could, and I certainly will, and, and that is I think I think in terms of the lifestyle that you've lived I, I think this word integration comes to mind, which is a big deal to me. Integration, obviously, integrity, these things. But you, I think, have determined at some point in your life and in your journey, and I've known this since the day I met you. Hey, I'm gonna be me in all of these situations. Obviously, with elite decorum, and you understand, you know, when somebody needs to be, uh, you know, the person who's speaking, and someone's this. I mean, you you have incredible social skills and all that, but you are the same man in every situation and scenario, even when the Smiths stalk you out socially in the streets of LA and <laughs> shockingly yell out your name, which is probably not that cool. But you are you are that same man. And I think, I think a lot of times that's what resonates with your audience too, because you're able to repurpose content, for instance, but in a way, in a demeanor and a decorum that I think is very translatable, relatable. People are like, oh man, This man, you can see the fire in his eyes. He really believes that. And what I love about what you do in sport is that when you are on a topic or passionate about a particular subject or individual or athlete, you can see in your eyes. You're like, I'm about this. I actually believe that this particular aspect of athletics needs to be spoken of with conviction and passion. And it's one of my favorite things about you, no doubt.
2: And I also think, you are an incredible example for others. I mean, obviously, yeah. Judah and I preach behind a pulpit here and there, but very few people do. And I just want to say, if anybody's watching and feeling like, how do I live out my faith in my day-to-day life, in my job, yeah. in on my social media, on my whatever, I just cannot think of a better example than you and how you live and walk that out. And people need examples for it, can be,
0: it can be tough. It's also... It's just hard because growing up, especially, I grew up Bible Belt. Chelsea, you, Judah, and I talk about this all the time. I grew up in Dallas, Texas. The only way to preach the gospel is to preach the gospel. So if you grow up in Dallas, like the only way to preach the gospel is, you know, this is a Bible church. You need to bring out your Bible. And so I'm like, dang, unless I have a Bible, I can't preach. I used to think like that. Like, unless, you know, young life asked me to speak, I can't preach. I can't speak. But now... Man, so much, almost everything I do is church related. Like from the way of how I even on air when I'm speaking, I'm a rules of three person. A pastor will tell you the point. They'll give you an analogy about the point. They'll make the point. They'll tie it home. Today, we're going to talk about these three things and they'll give it boom, boom, boom. And so I just, where I derive my creativity is, is through the Bible, is through church, is. Is just through the potency that you even find in scripture like that's it just moves me and allows me to hopefully move others
1: yeah absolutely
2: and i love that you've chosen that route i grew up in a family my family was very much in the church but not in ministry at all my parents had a business and this is back in the 70s and 80s in church and my dad really struggled with feeling less than because he wasn't yeah. a full-time pastor because he didn't have a pulpit because that wasn't his ministry and. He and I have had so many conversations about that and I'm grateful for what I've learned from him, but I think it's so encouraging for a next generation to have heroes like you yeah. who you could have a pulpit if you wanted, but you you've chosen not to. And it's just really encouraging for me for what is going to happen as a result
0: of you being you. Dude, I used to struggle with that a lot. I remember i um, being at PAO. I think a conference you were both attended pro athletes outreach. Um, I was at PAO my second year in the national football league and, Um, I think it was Lecrae, Trip Lee, and another artist were up there. And I asked a question in front of the whole audience. I said, how can you preach the gospel if you're not in ministry? I felt guilty. I was like, I'm an NFL player, but like y'all get to rap about God for a living. Judah, Chelsea, y'all literally get to preach like y'all, so you all know the value you all have to the kingdom of heaven. Quite literally, every Wednesday, every Sunday, you get to cash in your value into the kingdom of heaven. But me, when I was an athlete, I'm like, how am I storing up my treasures? I'm like, because how can I compete with Judah and Chelsea? They're in ministry. So like, I can't, I just felt lesser than as a Christian because I was like, I'm not in, inherently in ministry. So how, okay, great. I can give a homeless man $5 or an unhoused individual $10 and say, God bless you, but How does that compete with a pastor? And that was something for a couple of years I struggled with, probably up until 2020, when I was like, oh, wow, now my platform's gotten really big and I am kind of in ministry. I'm in the ministry of reconciliation. I appreciate you saying that because I'll invert it
1: just for a moment. If pastoring and leading community is a lot like coaching in, in, in terms of the parallel in the sports world. And I, I, I see a lot of similarities. The scripture says, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. I think of a coach and a football team. It's like, hey, equip the athletes to use their gifts to work together as a team to have a victorious outcome. I think in a lot of ways, my job is to articulate and translate scripture so it, it translates and makes sense and really is absorbed into the believer's soul and spirit so they can go out and walk out, live, love, and look like Jesus but actually i found myself ironically here you're telling me you're telling Chelsea, like man i felt like you guys were actually doing something i found myself constantly equipping the saints but then myself not getting on the field and playing my part on the team because yeah i do there are elements of coaching that i do but i'm also very much a part of god's family and i got a part to play on the team to bring about this victorious conclusion that we know is predicted in scripture and so I think Chelsea and I, even in this unique season chapter of our life, pivoting uh, a new model with Church Home, trying to go, hey, are we loving our neighbors? Like, are we out in the mix? Are we making a difference? Are we living that integrated life? that demonstrates to people, onlookers and curious people, hey, is Jesus real? Is this stuff real or is this just religion and tradition? And so ironically, we kind of have a standoff. You're looking at me like, man, and then I'm looking at you and I'm so grateful for the age in which we live because now it has impacted me deeply. We have determined several years ago now, like we're not just going to be facilitators of community community and communicators in community. We're going to be in the community, be a part of the community and make sure that we're loving our neighbor and taking care of people in our pathway. Would you agree?
2: Fully agree. I just want to ask you, <laughs> sorry, the great, great, great speech, babe. I love that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: sorry, that I did, Acho, that's our marriage. I literally felt like I nailed that. <laughs> and I look at her and she's like, yeah, that was good. All
2: right, well, listen, I, um, I, I, I didn't match, wow. I, I didn't come off of that matching your passion, which oh. is always a bad oh. like social cue. So yeah, I, hear that. I got it,
1: loud <laughs> and clear. For that I apologize. Uh, I miss my mom. All right, go ahead, Ben. What's your mom helping you do? Oh, she just encourages me more than you sometimes. All right, well, listen. Acho, good to have you here <laughs> today. You
2: know what? I sleep with you much more than she does. So who do you want? Oh, I don't. That is the weirdest <laughs> thing you can ever say. It's like whenever you... you I want, love you. If you want your mama, you, you can get say? your mom. What were you um, going to say? I was going to say... <laughs> sorry, sorry. I think what you just said, a lot of people who are not in full-time ministry think and feel, feeling like less than because they're not, which to me is never the way that Jesus intended his church or his body to be. What do you wish we as pastors did differently, said differently, approached differently to change that narrative?
0: Let's go macro instead of micro, because I won't say like what I wish Judah and Chelsea did differently. Um, uh, that might be awkward. Uh what I what I wish <laughs> I pastors wish I think did differently. I think it's a it's a society dilemma. It's a societal dilemma that that tells you, like, hey, if you're not if you're not, you know, opening up your Bibles, if you're not doing this, doing that, then then you're not doing enough. But what I've really realized and recognize both from church home, I think y'all do this better than anybody else. And this goes back to some hard conversations we all have had when I've literally said, Y'all love Jesus really well. Don't know if y'all love the Bible, but y'all love Jesus. Um, I think you all are doers. Like, and I think that we, I wish pastors encouraged us to be like Jesus just as much as study Jesus. Like in the South, they encourage you learn like Jesus, learn about Jesus. But now I feel like in the West Coast, it's love like Jesus, and, I, and, it's, and it's not that in the South, they don't tell you love like Jesus, but we, we emphasize different things. Like in the West, we emphasize living like Jesus. In the South, we emphasize learning about Jesus. In the West, I think we emphasize living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, and it'll teach you to, yeah, I, mean, I should learn about the man too. But down in Texas, it's more like, hey, learn about the man, and hopefully that encourages you, you to love like the man. Mm. And, and I just wish that people... Try to be like Jesus more rather than like reading as much about Jesus. Do both. Like, don't just read about it and then forget about it. Read it and then apply it. And I think out here, it's like Jesus would be with the hurting and Jesus would be with this and Jesus would be with that. In the midst of the issues, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, um, in the midst of the Roe v. Wade conflict, in the midst of all of these conflicts, like where would Jesus be? As opposed to just like trying to find one verse that fits a narrative. No, let's find the man. Let's see what the man did and let's be how the man would be. And I think I I wish pastors put a greater emphasis on that. Yeah.
2: Mm -hmm. Because that is doable for everybody. That's not exclusive to your role. That is something everybody
0: can do. Now. It also puts a burden on the believer. I think a lot about church home often because I'm like, you all's, the premise of the church home ideology puts a lot of burden on the believer, right? When we, when we don't meet every Wednesday and we don't, uh, you said this, um, it might've been Chelsea or Jude, I forget, one of y'all too. No, it was you, Chelsea. Y'all were talking about why you all take the approach you would take. Right. Like we only meet one Wednesday in L.A. last Wednesday a month. And it's because it's a high demand to make people come to church, ask for your time once a week, all the things. And I said, you're right. But the assumption that we're making is both a people wouldn't want to come otherwise and b that people are utilizing that time as much as church home is utilizing that time positively. That's an assumption that we're making. Like when we choose to not meet on Sundays the, and we choose to encourage people to, to do their own thing with their own communities, the assumption is people are doing that. Like that is the, the, the calling, the charge that you all are giving the community. And it's just fascinating because Chelsea, when you said that, I just sat back in my front row seat and I listened. And obviously I know why we only meet um, once a time, but I, I listened I was like, you're right. But the assumption that we're making is that people both wouldn't want to come on Wednesdays and that they're utilizing that time as well. And I'm just like, believers, that's the charge. Like that is the charge that I think we are responsible for. That like pastors have to put their congregations, if you will, responsible as well. Because Judah, you said something to me a year ago, and I won't say the context of what it was, but you said, bro, I preach about 38 Sundays or Wednesdays a year in total. I preach about an hour time. Give me, you know, thirty eight hours if you will. You said, "Acho, how you want me to spend my time?" So if pastors spend their time preaching about learning about Jesus, there's only so much time to emphasize the lo- like the loving. It is a zero sum game ultimately behind a pulpit. Right. Now, we all have twenty four hours in a day, but at the end of the day, because I asked you to, like, hey, bro, why don't you talk about this more? He's like, yeah, I can't just talk forever, so I I kind of have to pick and choose what I focus on. And, and thankfully I've been able to hear the Judas and the Chelsea's you all and hear the Tony Evans So I've had the different varieties of Jesus, if you will.
1: Mm.
2: Mm.
1: I, oh man, I have so much to say. That was powerful. I, I, I think too, in addition to that, not only are we making <laughs> it, it definitely an incredible assumption that uh, practicing the way of Jesus and the love of Jesus is happening through, throughout the weeks that maybe we, we don't gather in a facility, in a building. But I think the sneaky little idea that I'm hoping begins to transpire and take hold in people's lives and hearts is this, this old-fashioned thing called necessity. And what I mean by that is oftentimes through our gatherings, whether we intend to or not, listen, I, if I have my way, I'm down to like gather many, many more times. I really like preaching, as you know. I really <laughs> like talking. Uh, I really enjoy the art of it. I enjoy um, the the even some of the pageantry and performance of uh, music and gathering and lights. And I, I totally, as a kind of an artistic person, I enjoy that. But I think there is a necessity that has transformed my journey with Jesus. And what I mean by that is, It is extraordinary to me. Um, And let me relate it to my experience in the NFL. Judah, relax. Um, (laughs) But my first time with the Hawks in the locker room before we went out to the field, there was this tension. I never knew existed in your game. And I'm in the locker room now for me, 15 minutes before kickoff, my whole life in the NFL has been nothing but chips and dip and juice, and cider, and excitement. (laughs) And I'm in the locker room of these football players, and I'm looking in 22-year-old eyeballs that are looking back at me bloodshot with the reality that the collision that they were willingly offering themselves to with some of the most elite, forceful, powerful athletes on the planet, that it occurred to me, these young men realize, that their spine, their brain, their body may never be the same after this three-hour experience. And I remember um, guys coming up to me in the locker room asking for prayer. And Acho, you and I both know they never asked for prayer ever. The, I'm always <laughs> at the facility. I'm at the Bible studies, They're never in chapel, Bible study, prayer. But in those moments, right before going on that, really that battlefield, there was like this necessity of, oh God, I better make sure I get prayer. And I'm not trying to be too dramatic, but I think when you begin to absorb the plight of humanity all around us every day, wherever we are in the world, and you realize the necessity of a savior, the necessity of a deliverer, the necessity um, of uh, healing and health and restoration and redemption, all of a sudden there becomes an urgency in our practices that is, it's almost necessitated. Like, God, if you don't help me today, I'm not going to make it. If you don't help me, um, you know, I got guys who've never seen a great marriage and yet now they're married. They've never even seen a marriage last and now they're married. And so we have daily interactions and they're like, man, please pray for my marriage today because I got to make sure my marriage makes it on this Wednesday. And I think that if I can, in a way, as a, as a, a spiritual leader, I think both Chelsea and I desire to kind of bring back some of those sharp edges of necessity that I think are more truthful than not, that we actually need Jesus today more than we could ever imagine. And I wonder if sometimes our over inundation of information and communication and great orators and preachers have kind of curved the edges of what is true about our existence. And that is that if I don't get in my living room with some folks who are curious just like me about this God, man, Jesus, I don't know if I'm going to make it another week. And I think that is an assumption we're making, but it's one that I hope in some ways incites this like, whoa, I, I need my neighbor. I, I need to care for my neighbor and love my friend. And, and and maybe I'm just speaking as a pastor's kid, I guess, in a way, Acho, you and I, both preacher's kids. And we've been to more church services than we could ever fathom. But sometimes they're a little bit misleading because we think by going to church, I've done it. It's done. Yeah. And all I need to do is, is reboot next Sunday.
0: Mm-hmm. No, That's really well said.
2: When, when, thank
0: you. That's what I was looking for from her. That was really well said. <laughs>
2: that was really well said, babe. That was oh, cool. thank you, my love. When when I got my hands on your illogical material and book, which you so brilliantly put together, by the way, True and me. did such a great job of integrating faith without you know of everything that you said, but the premise of estab- of of questioning established norms that you yeah. live your life by.
1: Oh man, I was like, oh, my that's favorite. why
2: we relate so well with this man. Like that's that's where that 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 click comes in. Um, how did you come about that? Can you explain a little bit about that? Give us a story.
0: That's really good. I would say that um, it was in 2000 and uh, 2012, 2012. It was February. I believe it was February 13th of 2012. And I was at an audition in front of 32 billionaires, the NFL combine. I'm running the 40 yard dash in front of 32 billionaires. And my, Trainers have told me, all right, Acho, you've proven your intelligence, you've proven your football IQ, but they just have questions the NFL coaches do, the owners do, the general managers do about your speed. If you run a 4.5 or a 4.6 low, you'll probably go in the second round, third round. Anything higher than that, you might go in the sixth or seventh round. Now, mind you, the difference between a 4.5 40-yard dash and a 4.7 is... That's the, that's the difference. That's the difference between four, five, four, seven. That's the difference between two and $10 million. And so I take off to run this 40 yard dash, and I'm running and I'm running and I'm running, and I hear boom, 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 boom. I thought my heels were clicking, but my quad was being ripped off of the bone. I clutch my quad. I fall to the ground in agony. And I was defeated, Chelsea. And the reason I was defeated, not was be- it was not because I got hurt. The reason I was defeated was because I felt lied to. I returned to college my senior year. I could have left my junior year and left when my brother left, my brother one year older. But I decided to return. And I said, if I do everything right, then everything will go right. So I did everything right. And I set this goal of being drafted in the first three rounds of the NFL. And I tear my quad, Judah. Uh, running the 40 yard dash. I don't get drafted until the sixth round. So now I was thinking to myself, somebody lied to me because I was told you train hard, you work out hard, you prehab hard, not rehab, prehab. You work out before you get hurt. You prehab hard. You do everything right. It'll go right. And it didn't. So in that moment, Chelsea, I said, nah, I'm no longer subscribing to this notion of setting goals. That was the first undoing of ideology. Because we have so long been told, hey, if you set a goal, there's a 98% chance that you'll achieve it, as opposed to if you don't set a goal and write it down. I was like, but I set a goal. And I committed my whole senior year in college to this moment, and I still got hurt. So somebody's lied to me. And I think I realized as I took a step back from sports that we do this so often in life. Well, okay, I want to be married by, by 26. I wanna have a home by 28. I wanna have kids by 30. But what happens when you're 32 and you're single with no kids? Now you're devastated. You're shaken to the core. I know you all have several friends like that. And so it started with goal setting, me realizing that maybe setting a goal isn't the best way to achieve in life. And then I just realized in scripture, all of the greatest accomplishments are indeed illogical. There are things that nobody would perceive to be able to happen. And I de- defined being illogical as believing it is so, even when it's not so, so that it can be so. Now, Tony Evans will define faith as believing it is so, even when it's not so, so that it can be so. And he'll add, because God said so. But as you all know, I usually water something down to still give a message without it sounding like Christianese. And being illogical in faith are, to some degree, a similar premise. Um, <laughs> and so quite, and it's funny, I've never verbalized it of being illogical and to some degree faith or similar, but yeah, Chelsea, that's where it all came from this, this notion of being illogical. And then I realized everything great is illogical. Biblically, all the great accomplishments were illogical from Peter walking on water to Moses freeing the Israelites to Esther in the kingdom to uh, Abram to anybody, any, anything great, literally anything. Your favorite Bible story, illogical. Daniel, the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, the fire. Whatever your favorite story is, it's illogical. And and that's kind of how I live my life. Let me,
1: do I have your permission to ask a very personal question that you can absolutely um, pass over? Right now, you are, let me say it plainly, one of the most eligible bachelors I am currently (laughs) aware of frankly. Look at that smile. Uh, Yeah, he knows it. We know it. They know it. She knows it. All right. Um, How are you using? I know the desire of your heart. Like, it's no secret that someday you see yourself as a married man with a family. How are you using this illogical tool and understanding and really revelation that hit you as a young man? I love how you, no one's ever said that to me in front of 32 billionaires. That's powerful. Um, How are you, how is that playing a part right now in your journey um, of not only seeking, but deciding and and praying carefully about your, your future spouse?
0: It's a good question, man. I think it's probably pretty straight on the nose. Technically the logical, the logical path towards finding a partner is who's most attractive. Um, Who are you most drawn to? Um, who makes the best money? Who has the best (laughs) job? Who has the most status? Like that's what, that's quite literally in 2023, where logic takes you. Being illogical would be thinking differently, right? It's, It's not necessarily showing your homeboy. Oh, yo, yeah, I'm talking to her today. Like that, that's being illogical is more so looking at the attributes that the world doesn't necessarily celebrate overtly. That I think is illogical, hard to do, very hard to do. Um, but logic kind of tells you to just go the conventional route. Who are you most, who are most attracted to? And I think that is how I would answer that question of like being illogical is probably why I am still single because it's very, we're in LA, dude. I could walk down Sunset Boulevard, 0. 0.8 miles from my hill and it's like, oh, you're beautiful. Let's get married. But I'm like, now nah, it's actually dumb. Now, most people, I post a picture with a woman, yo, you dating her? I'm like, no, well, she's beautiful. I wish that for you but you don't even know her. So why you wish that for me? (laughs) You you don't even know this person, but logic says, oh, she's beautiful. I hope y'all are together. I hope not. So that that would be how that's kind of guided my... And and
1: I wanted to to compliment you because that was my conclusion. And whether or not you said it, I was going to say it. I actually think because of your illogical faith that you have used as one of the guiding forces in your journey... It is one of the reasons that you are single right now because I think you refuse to settle for the cliche. You refuse, not that any woman is a cliche by any means, but meaning just mere logic and how it would lead us into obvious decisions, so to speak. So I commend you on that. And
0: bro, bro, Logic. logic says like, okay, Acho, you got good money. You got a good job. You got a good house. You're stable. You're 33 now. You know what I mean? Oh, like, but I just... Ah uh, yeah, I can't go for conventional That's right. wisdom. Because if 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 everybody's route was the right route, there wouldn't be divorce. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if what everybody was advising you to do was the best advice, then there wouldn't be divorce. And I'm just like, eh, the divorce rates are too high for me to take the path that everybody else is taking. It just that doesn't lend me to a good outcome. Well said. Well said.
2: I really respect your answer and thank you for that. As a woman, can I just say thank you for that? It feels like uh, the world we live in just so judges on logic and beauty conventional and wisdom. conventional wisdom. And man, I feel, I mean, I feel for my single female sisters. <laughs> so thank you for that. And thank you for setting that standard and just say that a thousand times more, will you?
1: In, it, Go ahead. No, no, you were going to, what were you going to say? You, you got to well, I was
0: going to say like, It is hard though. Chelsea, you you spoke of this brilliantly on stage at church home last time we were all together and it's hard because it sounds good. You know what I mean? Like, oh, let's not let beauty be the driving factor, but it's like, eh, eh, because like the flesh is weak. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it is is difficult. Like (laughs) everything I'm saying, I'm saying, but then you also got to live it. And that's why I would say I'm single because I haven't made a commitment to either side. I, I just know I don't want to make a commitment to the lazy side. But I also haven't made a commitment to the difficult side. You feel me? So like, I can only toot my horn so much because I'm like, I just know what I'm not going to do. But I haven't yet done necessarily what I will one day by the grace of God do.
2: I hear you. When I, when I was single, which is forever ago, uh, <laughs> there was this not tall, non-attractive man who drove me crazy, and, but he just really loved God. And I was convinced, I was like, oh, God's probably gonna make me marry that person because he is, you know, the illogical choice in, in this language. And and I don't think that is what God has for us. God wants us to be attracted <laughs> to our spouses, just so you know. But for that to be the only thing, shoot.
1: I, don't don't you think, Acho? The reason you have become comfortable being uncomfortable is because it's a logic illogical kind of force um, and and concept that you've embraced.
0: That's good. Yes, and the reason yes is I I believe that. Um, I take the stance of, but what if we're wrong? Chuck Klosterman wrote a book, but what if we're wrong? I was actually reading it on the bench at, outside of Whole Foods um, by your house one day, um, by, y'all, by y'all spot. And I was just sitting there reading it casually one day. And that's the way I approach my life is, hey, but what if we're wrong? Like, but what if I'm wrong about this? And because I approach my life like that, I also approach my life, but what if y'all are wrong? And so when everybody's sitting here like, watch, well, oh, you're an idiot, whether it's about a sports take or about a religious belief, I might be, but I might not be. And that is the tension I sit in, which is why I'm okay with my practice of being illogical, which is why I'm okay with my practice of faith because goal setting, it's dumb to not set a goal. Acho, you're an idiot. Maybe, I mean, it's worked out for me. <laughs> yeah. So maybe maybe I'm right and, and maybe you're wrong. And I love the quote, the future will sort out the past. Oof. The future will sort out the past. And so, Judah, I'm so comfortable in it because I always take the approach, but what if I'm wrong? And but what if you're wrong?
1: I love that. That
2: is a brilliant way to live your life. And Mm. we can see the fruit and evidence of that in your life. That's right. And I also think that's a wonderful way to end this conversation that we know could go on for hours. But.
1: (laughs) Most talented athlete of all time. Anywhere in the whole wide world.
0: (sighs) Ah, talent is such a subjective word. Um, you know what? I'm gonna give you a quote and then I'll answer the question. The quote's just for fun, it's one of my favorite quotes. And it's about success, but I'll say it about talent. Um, talent is both subjective and arbitrary. So to define someone as the most talented speaks more about the source than the subject.
1: Oh come on, it was just a question. I feel terrible. <laughs>
0: Right. Well, I, I did, bro. It was, a, I heard it when it was talking about success and you I think the listeners need quotes. to hear this because like, Oh, I'm not successful. Judah's more successful than me. Chelsea's more successful. I more successful. Nope. Success is both subjective and it's arbitrary. So to say somebody's more successful than you says more about you than it says about them. If somebody were to say most talented athlete, I say Odell Beckham. Cause I think that Odell Beckham has, has the, is the most gifted Athlete, as I define the word athlete, strength, power, speed, body control, can do anything. I've seen the dude moonwalk with cleats on. I've seen the dude kick a soccer ball uh, and, and, and go upper 90. I've seen the dude catch a ball with one-handed. Now, is he the most accomplished? No. Is he the most, have the most ring? No. But, like, if you were just to say, like, if I were to pick one athlete ever and drop them into a sport at random and hope that they would succeed at that sport, I'm picking Odell so but that's how I'm defining talent. Yeah. There's just, And athleticism. Yeah. That's but that's
1: exactly that's why I asked. Because I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I don't know if mine would be Odell Beckham, but but that is uh I admire his body control at a level that is unbelievable. Um yeah, that's man, that's a good one. That's a good one.
2: <laughs> I think I'm going Tanya Harding, guys. What in the world is happening
0: right
1: now? <laughs> right.
2: What in the world just happened? If we're just being arbitrary, then, you know.
1: My Mine my, my <laughs> might be Dion. It might be <laughs> Dion Sanders or Barry Sanders. That's a, that's a good answer. As long as they got a Sanders in their last name, they might be the most talented athlete I've ever seen. Oh, Emmanuel, man. thank you Acho, I love
0: so you, much
2: for your time and your perspective. Love you Love who you are. Your wisdom
0: always amazing. Thank you. Amazing. This was great. Always good to chat. (laughs)